Chapter 13 The Pact Do the thing, and you will be given the power. Ralph Waldo Emerson The Pact The musical performance had been wonderful, and her duties that evening were relatively light. Compared to cleaning up after a basketball game, this hardly felt like work at all. Her job as the school janitor had its benefits, and she often bragged that she had lifetime tickets to anything worth seeing in town. Musicals, concerts, school sporting events, and graduations. She was there for all of it, standing in the back and cheering louder than anyone. This night had been no exception. The students were her life, and she fussed over them whenever she could. New winter coats had been known to show up in the lockers of the less fortunate, and nobody ever went without a yearbook because he or she couldn't afford one. The school had its small miracles over the years, and Miss Linda was usually at the root of all of them. Okay, guys, it's time to call it a night. Does everyone have a ride? Miss Linda had let the students congregate at the doors of the gymnasium while she dry mopped the floor. It had been a great night for these seniors, and there was no harm in letting them visit for a while. Besides, she liked to keep an eye on them. As long as they were here, they weren't out drinking and driving. But now it was late, and she didn't want parents to worry. There was an explosion of goodbyes from the group as the teenagers made their way toward their cars. Yeah, we're good. Good night, Miss Linda. night. See ya. Good night, good night, she chimed back. Everyone drive safely. You don't want to miss your graduation because you're in a body cast, or worse. After a few more goodbyes and some slow departures, the parking lot of the high school was empty. Miss Linda tested the locks on the school's double door and then made her way across the quiet lot to her own vehicle. She removed her baseball cap and tried to fluff her gray curls back into shape. I must look a sight, she said softly to herself, taking comfort in the fact that where she was going, she wasn't going to see anyone. She liked it that way. Linda's cabin sat on a swath of family land at the end of a long and private dirt road, and while the entire trip was only ten miles in total, its complexity changed with the seasons. In the warmer months, there were moose and black flies, and she sometimes worried about surprising a bear whenever she left her SUV to unlock the green metal gate that kept the summer looky-loos from driving down her road. But in the winter and early spring, she had the added challenge of snow and mud. Here, her success depended on momentum, and for this reason, she never locked the gate in the off-season. She reasoned that the damn fool that takes this road in the winter gets what he deserves. She started her vehicle and watched the needle on the gas gauge float up to full. Then she reached back to grab a bag of chips from the box supplies that lined her back seat. She had made a supply run just before starting her evening shift at the school, and it always included snacks. I'll just have a few, she chuckled, knowing full well that the bag would be empty by the time she made it home. The Nissan Pathfinder easily chugged along the five-mile ridge up to Pigeon Pond. Patsy Klein was along for the ride, and Linda accompanied the recording by singing at the top of her lungs. By the time she reached the road's fork and the second leg of the trip, Stand By Your Man was winding down. 
Her headlights reflected off the multiple camp signs that crowded the old birch tree marking her turn. The Smith's cabin, Goose Down Camp, Polly's Cracker, The Wreck. The number of signs seemed to be multiplying over the years, but they all had arrows pointing left. Linda was turning right. She grabbed another handful of chips and coaxed the SUV through the short bank of snow that lined the entrance to her road. The windshield took the complaint. Really, guys? You can't lift the blade for me when you get here? She managed the plowing of her own road, but the public works plow truck kept fencing her in. And then I Fall to Pieces started playing. Linda was singing again. Ed stood for several seconds outside Clyde White's apartment door. It was thin and hollow, an interior door. It was barely enough to keep out the cold, and certainly not much of a barrier between the tenant and anyone who wanted to break in or listen. Dr. Karen's assistant could hear the soft sounds of a television, and he could smell cigarette smoke. Before he could raise his hand to knock, he heard a voice from inside. I don't know who you are or what you want, but you best get away from my door and leave me be. Mr. White, my name is Ed D'Angelo. I'm from Dr. Amelia Karen's office. I'd like to talk to your son, Abram. He waited before continuing. I promise it won't take but a few minutes. On the other side... Ed could hear what sounded like a large piece of furniture being dragged across the floor. The TV went silent. He ain't here, and you're a damn fool if you think I'm coming outside. In that moment, Ed felt compelled to look behind him. He was standing on the landing of a wooden staircase, twelve feet up in the air, and fully exposed. Mr. White, he implored, can you and I talk, man to man? No, the time for talking is done. Even God has turned away, and we're on our own now, all of us. Clyde was speaking close to the door now. And so you best get home, unless you want what's coming. Ed swallowed hard and glanced over his shoulder again. Where is your son, Mr. White? I need to know. Three heavy deadbolt locks turned, allowing the flimsy door to open just wide enough to pull the door's guard chain taut. All of this security on a door thin enough to put your fist through, it seemed odd. Ed looked inside the apartment through the narrow opening. He could see a kitchen countertop. It was cluttered with dirty dishes, a security camera display terminal, and several boxes of shotgun ammunition. Then... In an instant, the gap was filled with the jagged and careworn face of Clyde White. His waxy eyes matched the yellow of his nicotine-stained mouth. Well, I'm not coming out, and you're not coming in, and that is that. Now go on, go home, and pray, and lock your doors. Clyde moved to close the door, but Ed was ready for him. He had placed his foot within the gap. Why did you lie about your names when you called for the appointment? Just tell me that much, Ed demanded. Clyde's eyes glanced down at Ed's large boot. Then he looked past Ed. He was searching the darkness beyond as he spoke. Small town. 
I don't want anyone knowing about his problems. Used to be those sleeping pills helped him, but I can't get anything strong enough anymore. But doesn't matter no how. He does what he wants. Always has. Clyde looked up at Ed. So, unless you and that fancy doc of yours got something I can use, you best get home. Now take your foot away from my door, or I'll shoot it off. Ed could see the ammo in the background. He removed his foot. Mr. White, do you want help? If I said I could get you help, would you take it? Ed wasn't sure what he was promising, but it didn't matter. The door had slammed shut, and he could hear the deadbolts turning. Clyde's face was close to the door again. I will meet you tomorrow. I'll come to your office directly in the morning. That's when he rests, when it's safest. Linda kept the SUV speed at 20 miles per hour. Slow and steady wins the race, she'd tell people when they would ask her how she managed such a commute all alone. You can't be in a hurry. That's when the trouble starts. Of course, experience made it easier. And besides, between the music and the snacks, she hardly noticed it anymore. Linda was beginning to crest her road's first incline when she noticed something strange up ahead. It was her green metal gate, and it was closed. Hmm, now, what's this about? She pondered, while the index finger of her left hand tapped her lips. Stopping on a hill is a no-no, and so she backed the pathfinder downward and idled. Someone had closed her gate. Between the time she had left that afternoon until now, someone had been here. But who? She opened the driver's side door and swung her legs around. Potato chips fell from her lap down onto the road. I fall to pieces, she joked to herself. She was prepared to huff and puff her way up toward the gate. Her large frame was carrying more than a little extra weight, but that never slowed her down. Her plan was to open the gate, push it back, and then chain it in place. Then she'd continue on her way, eating chips and singing songs until she arrived home. She'd let her dogs out to play in the snow while she carried her supplies into the house. She'd make a double helping of Swiss Miss instant cocoa and watch TV. Her evenings were always like this, simple, satisfying, and peaceful. Perfect. She had barely finished standing up when something was on her. It was fast and heavy, and almost immediately she couldn't breathe. He was getting better at this. By the time Nathan Randall got back to his office, it was after midnight. After his trip to the apple farm and his encounter with Bruce, the station was where he wanted to be. A pot of coffee would settle him down and help him think. He had barely removed his coat when his cell phone rang. Please, can you come to my office in the morning? It was Dr. Karen. Come early, before everyone else arrives. There's going to be a meeting here, and I I need you here to, um, to keep the peace. Her voice sounded urgent, different. The sheriff had a million places to be that Saturday, but Amelia's call was so strange. Well... Hello to you too, Doc. 
Now, technically, it is morning, but sure, I can come to your office, he answered. I'm still in uniform with no time to go home to change, so I hope that's okay. And then he added, Will you come with me to breakfast afterwards? I need to talk to you. Uniform's fine, she answered, ignoring the invitation. Please, come early, Nathan. Yeah, you said that already. I'll be there, I promise, he assured. And then she whispered something, an afterthought, just before hanging up. I'm afraid. Nathan held the phone in his hand. Afraid? Amelia Ann Karen, M.D., wasn't afraid of anything. He and Dr. Karen had been through so much together over the years, and there were times when he had to remind her to be cautious, to be afraid. He sat back in his chair, his face furrowed and serious. Just hours earlier, Sheriff Bruce Belanger had handed him a dynamite sandwich to chew on. His words were still bouncing around in Nathan's brain, tightening the muscles in his neck. There was so much to process, and emotions were never his specialty. The office was still, silent, his defenses now pockmarked and porous, feelings were finding a way in. I'm afraid, she'd said. Nathan set his phone down. If the doc is afraid, shouldn't we all be? Sheriff Randall arrived at Dr. Karen's office by eight that morning, but Ed was already there, and Amelia had spent the night in her office again. So, by all accounts, he was late. He chose to sit on the doctor's small couch, just next to a pillow and a hastily folded blanket. So, what's this meeting all about? he asked, while positioning his hat onto his kneecap. Amelia was sitting stiffly behind her desk, the condition of her hair and clothing clearly connecting her to the pillow and the blanket. Ed was over by the window, pacing. Before the doctor could answer the question, there was a hunched figure at the door. It was Clyde White, and he was holding a half-smoked cigarette in his hand. Don't worry, it's out, he said, showing Amelia the snuffed-out end. The missus would never let me smoke. Seems that's all I do now. Please, Mr. White, have a seat. Ed moved toward the old man with an extra chair. Sheriff, Clyde nodded to Nathan as he sat down. I figured you'd be here. Well then, Mr. White, you know more than I do, Nathan admitted. His bones ached and his head throbbed. If this was a domestic dispute or an intervention, the sheriff wasn't sure he'd be able to handle it. He was running on empty. We don't have time to waste. I gotta tell you some things, and then this man here said he would get me what I needed. Clyde pointed a thick finger toward Ed. Dr. Karen wanted to interrupt, to make disclaimers about treatment protocols and processes, but Ed cut in. We are here to listen to whatever you want to tell us, Mr. White, and we won't interrupt. But first, can you tell me where Abram is? Ed was imagining his daughter Sammy, vulnerable and alone in her apartment. Clyde squinted his eyes as he assessed the room. No, not yet. The shadow had grown strong. 
early days had him skulking around, waiting for the bad choices of others to serve up something interesting. But now he was practiced, bold. No more preying on the weak. He was taking what he wanted whenever he wanted. Soon the twilight of dawn would be opening like a flower upon the vast expanse of wilderness. It was time to get back to the barn. Time to rest. He looked down at the body. It was on the ground now, and the exhaust from the SUV hovered over and around it like a stained blanket. Amused by the scene, the shadow cocked his head and held it there for several seconds. And then... With one fluid movement, he wrenched the woman's head free from her body and drop-kicked it into the forest. Eugene and Robbie were dead now, but he never felt more alive. He felt a laugh growing from deep inside of him, and so he released it to echo out across the dark and endless valley below. This horrible laugh, repelled by the beauty of nature, by life and all its goodness, landed nowhere. Clyde was done talking, but the air was heavy with dread, and it held them still. No one moved. All at once, the sheriff's cell phone was ringing. It felt aggressive, like a slap across the face. Nathan wanted to silence the call, to give himself the luxury of a minute to think, until he looked at the number. Mm, "'Gotta take this, guys,' he said, as he jumped up and out of the room. Amelia inhaled deeply and cupped her face with her hands. For nearly two hours, she, Ed, and Nathan had sat with rapt attention as the old farmer recounted the macabre and disturbing story that had left them paralyzed. The commitment to just sit and listen to Clyde had created a serious problem for the doctor.' She believed him. Her office door opened and Nathan walked back in. He looked like he was going to be sick. From the corner of his eye, Clyde had taken notice. They found someone else, didn't they? It wasn't a question. Sheriff Randall nodded. Only the night before, Sheriff Belanger had quit his job. My heart can't take it, he'd said. What's wrong with my heart? Nathan had wondered. And then he heard himself ask out loud, Okay, Clyde, let's say we do get you the things you're asking for. Then what? Then we make a pact, the four of us. It'll be our burden until we're all died off, Clyde answered, his eyes dark and focused. They were Abram's eyes. Then what happens? Ed asked, trying to make sense of what he was committing himself to as if he ever could. Clyde was annoyed by the question, and he snarled back. That question will be answered by the last person standing. The Pact Written and performed by Bridget Emmons Follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Main Stories or visit my website at BridgetEmmons.com Thank you for listening.